When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the co-founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are talking about some of the breakout prospect candidates for 2022. Also, wanted to talk a little bit about who has been standing out prospect-wise in spring training. It is really hard to keep up, so I will definitely miss Probably a couple names that have impressed in spring training. If you're a fan of a specific team and you feel like I gypped your prospect, I'm sorry. Uh, but some of the guys that I've been able to just see with my own eyes, whether it's at the ballpark, I've been trying to catch as many spring training games as I can down here in Florida or on television, which, you know, that's only as many as they give us here. And it's not that much. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more spring training televised, but it is what it is. We got baseball around the corner and I'm very excited about that. As weird as it sounds, the prospect interviews will be more frequent and more consistent when the season starts. Honestly, it is just so chaotic right now uh, for these players and for myself, I'll be honest, because I talk to a bunch of these guys, I shoot them texts to try to figure out not only when we're going to do the interviews, but also I try to get a little bit of insight of what's going on on the backfield. So I go out there, it's about 45 minutes from me, so I don't want to just drive and show up and nobody's there or... I find out they bumped up the start time and the scrimmage games are almost over. Like, this is a weird, weird scheduling thing for the players as well. I'll literally ask them the day before, hey, what do you think the schedule is tomorrow? And a lot of them will be like, I have no idea. And it doesn't matter what team. Several different teams that uh, have spring training and have the minor league camps going on right now on the backfields, they all are going day to day. So for the players, it's hard because their off days are really sparse and uh, they don't know until like the day before that they're going to have the off day and they don't know their schedule really until the day before. It's pretty haphazard, I'll be honest. And uh, I'm still enjoying getting out there. Uh, They give me enough notice usually the night before or the morning of to go out there and uh, go check it out. But to schedule an interview, forget it. It's, It's incredibly difficult. But that being said, we did schedule one for Friday. Zach McCambly is going to be joining the podcast for Friday's episode. So I apologize for the haphazard with the interviews, but uh, that's just something we're going to have to bootstrap right now. Uh, But during the season, it'll be a lot easier because you have those 
uh, scheduled off days, right? We know what the schedule is for the whole season uh, once we get started, and that's what I'm very much looking forward to. And I could tell you the players are very much looking forward to that as well. And I'm excited to have Zach McCambly on because I just saw him pitch on the backfield. His breaking ball was ridiculous, as I talked about a couple episodes ago. And I'm excited to talk to him about that changeup development and everything that he is working on right now with the Marlins. That's a guy that I honestly could probably throw in here as a breakout candidate uh, for next year, but I figured why throw him in there when we're going to talk to him anyways, and you'll see why he's a breakout candidate. And I focus more on position players for this episode. I'll do a pitching side of things for breakout prospects as well uh, on an episode for next week. So I'll start with the breakout prospects, then we'll finish up with some of the spring training prospects that are really impressing me. And, And by spring training prospects, it's guys that are getting a lot of run with the big league club and really impressing. And of course, you know, I'm going to talk about O'Neill Cruz once I get to that part of the podcast. Let's start with the breakout side of things. And these are some names that maybe you've heard me talk a little bit about. The first name that I'm going to get to, you just heard me talk about, so I'm not going to spend as much time on him. But still, I would be mistaken. I would be remiss to not talk about Ellie De La Cruz in a breakout prospect episode. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz is the guy that could be the poster boy of breakouts for next year at any level. Honestly, I loved the way that Fangraphs put it in their prospects TLDR on the page for Ellie De La Cruz. And it just says this, and, and I think it's just like one of those simple sentences that puts it right in perspective. De La Cruz is a boomer bust prospect who could really bust or go supernova. And I mean, that that's 100% the case. I honestly think, though, that the bust risk here isn't much different than many of the other prospects you look at with a similar type of upside, although I wouldn't say there's not many with a similar type of upside, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. Super toolsy, super projectable prospects who are risky. I mean, De La Cruz honestly doesn't really scream that much more risk to me than your general wide variance prospect. I don't really see anything that screams that De La Cruz is further behind than some of the other toolsy, projectable, wide range of outcome prospects. We saw when he was 17 years old, he held his own in rookie ball in 2019. And that was something that I think was a testament to how quick the bat is and how the approach, look, the the approach could use some work, but his bat to ball skills are so good that he could get away with it in rookie ball. Then in 2021, this past season, which was our first chance to really see him since he was 17 years old, and he was literally a beanpole when he was 17. He's still pretty much a beanpole now, but even more so back then in 2019, we saw him just dominate through 11 games at the complex. It was a waste of his time. Three home runs hit 400. And so they move him up to low A. And in those 50 games in low A, he honestly was pretty darn good given the circumstances. 19 years old, hardly had played, hadn't played at all above rookie ball. And the kid hit 269, 305, 477. That's a fine slash line, 106 WRC plus as one of the younger players at that level and as a very, very raw and inexperienced prospect. Strikeout rate at 31%. Look, it's not great. Uh, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. A 4.8% walk rate in low A is, is impressively low because usually you could just put your bat on your shoulder. I think anybody listening, whether you have baseball experience or not, would probably have around a 5% walk rate in low A, just never swinging. 
because of the lack of command that uh, just comes with that level. So that's a testament to De La Cruz just always looking to do damage and probably being a little swing happy. But five home runs in those 50 games, seven triples in those 50 games as well. He absolutely flies. And a little bit of that is, is spotty defense as well. I think a lot of doubles that turned into triples because of the fact that the defense is spotty and he's so damn fast. But he is a 70-grade runner and he has still so much more room to fill out. So I'll give you a little bit more on the outline of like, who he is as a player. He is now 20 years old, as I should clarify. He just turned 20. He'll be 20 this season. He's a switch hitter with a plus arm. And that's the thing that hedges some of the risk too. I think even if he can't stick at shortstop, he is going to be more than fine at third in the bat profiles there. Switch hitter, plus arm, plus, plus raw power. I I could honestly make a case for maybe one of the few 80-grade raw power guys, future value-wise, because he's already putting up exit velos at about 113 miles an hour, and he's 6'2", 150. At least that's the last time he's checked in. Maybe he's added a little bit more strength then. I've heard that he has added a couple inches of height too. So we might be looking at another O'Neill Cruz type of situation. Remember, O'Neill Cruz was not a very hyped-up prospect when first signed, and uh, when the Dodgers had him, they, they didn't even really value him. Uh, like he is being valued now with the Pittsburgh Pirates and is one of the Rookie of the Year favorites, who, again, I will be talking about a little bit later. Uh, De La Cruz is way more athletic in terms of his speed, uh, and the raw power, though, is right there. What I would say with De La Cruz as well is that I really like the swing from both sides. I mean, there's definitely some things that need to be ironed out. The lower half is a little bit baby draft-like, meaning that he struggles to control it, always got really long legs, and that's what you see help him He basically looks like he gets from first to third in five strides because of how long and quick his strides are. So those long legs at times, he's a bit inconsistent with the lower half, but he's the type of dude, has the bat-to-ball skills, has such ridiculous bat speed that he could lose his lower half a little bit, throw his hands at the ball, and still be able to run into it. Like I said, 113-plus exit velos is ridiculous for a kid that's 150, 160 pounds. You figure that he adds another 20, 30 pounds of muscle, which I think he's more than capable of doing. The frame has more than enough room to accommodate that. Even if he slows down a step or two, he's still a plus runner. Like, he's that fast. So this is a guy that I've always said is more like Jason Dominguez than Jason Dominguez is. And by that, I mean all the hype around Dominguez. This is what I think everybody thought he was going to be. He doesn't have that physical strength, but he already hits the ball as hard as as Dominguez does, right? The exit velos are already right there and he's faster and he has more defensive ability and there's just more athleticism there. Switch hitter as well. So, I mean, there's every reason to love this guy. He's a surefire top 100 prospect because of the upside. I have to see a a lot more development at the plate and I think he's going to repeat low A. I think that would make a lot lot of sense for him to repeat low A and then if he swings it well, he'll get the call up to, to high A. I think that he has a shot to stick it short, but the arm is more than good enough. The offensive profile is more than good enough for third. And I mean, again, that arm is 70 grade as well. So he's probably one of the most tooled out prospects in the minors. And if he puts it all together, I mean, we're talking about a candidate that could be a top 20 prospect in baseball by the end of the year, because when he puts it together, nobody's going to wait anymore. Everyone's going to say, holy crap, uh, this guy's next up. It'll happen that quickly. That's that's how quickly this guy can just leapfrog everybody because of the projectability. So this is it would just be ridiculous to not have Ellie De La Cruz on a breakout candidate list. He is also one of the widest range of outcome prospects you're going to see. But I, I don't think that the risk is that much more ridiculous than your typical high risk prospect because of what he's already showed us a little bit. For my baseball card fans out there, Ellie De La Cruz should be in the next Bowman Chrome uh, first edition release. I just saw that 
on the checklist. So that's a name I assume a lot of people are going to be targeting, especially if he gets off to a hot start this year. Next up is another young prospect, actually an even younger prospect and an infield guy as well. Jose Salas of the Marlins is a guy that I really, really like what I've seen so far on the backfields. And this is somebody that looks bigger and more physical each time I see him. Another switch hitter also. Salas is still 18 years old and already has 27 games under his belt at the low A level. 123 plate appearances last year as a kid that had just turned 18. He didn't light it up by any means. I mean, he he held his own. The power was not quite there, but I, I really saw a kid that was just trying to survive at that level, really just trying to put the bat on the ball, and he did a good job at that overall. He didn't strike out an egregious amount, 23% K rate, 9% walk rate in those 123 plate appearances, only one home run, hit 250, 333, 315 slash line. So you see the, the zero power there. I'm not that worried about it. He's already added muscle. I saw him on the backfields hitting rockets already. Uh, He's 6'2", 191 now, so added about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle, I think, since the last time we saw him. Speaking to some people on the Marlins development side of things, they really are excited about Jose Salas. And I mean, they have good reason to. He is an advanced hitter at the plate for for an 18-year-old. And we, we saw that firsthand. I like his swing from both sides. The left-handed swing packs a little bit more of a punch. And my only thing with Salas is I want to see him try to do a bit more damage. And I think we're going to see him do that. Right now, his swing is very oriented to contact. And again, as I said earlier, it seems like that was mostly as a a fight or flight type of response to just try to put the bat on the ball against a, a higher level of pitching than he's used to, than anybody at that age is typically used to. The bat-to-ball skills are really undeniable. I think that's reflected in the contact rates. That's reflected in just watching him. And I would just like to see a bit more of a negative movement, meaning there's not much load there. There's not much gather into the backside or coil or separation or whatever you want to call it. The hands are pretty stagnant. The lower half is pretty stagnant. And he just throws his hands at the baseball. Not a bad thing because he has control of his body, which is more than you can say about most of the guys here. I think a common theme that you'll see with De La Cruz and with some of the other prospects I'm going to talk about is that inconsistency with the upper body and the lower body or just the, the inconsistency with controlling the lower half. He is pretty good in that department, is Salas, but I want to see a little bit more violence. I want to see him get into that back hip more. I want to see him use his lower half because he is a pretty strong kid now, and he's already proven that he can put bat on ball, and that swing and miss shouldn't be a huge issue. Salas is, without a doubt, the lowest-to-risk prospect on this list uh, of the guys I'm going to talk about in this episode, but I still think that there's a lot of exciting upside here. There's above average to plus raw power if you can tap into it, and that's what we're going to follow. Uh, the hit tool is further along than a lot of people would have thought. He's an above average runner. I'm not sure he's going to stick it short. Uh, that's probably one of the questions there. I expect him to probably move to third, but I think the offensive profile, again, will, will accommodate that as he starts to run into some more pop. He has a good approach. I'm looking forward to seeing how Salas continues to advance this year. He's not going to be someone that goes nuclear. Uh, When I talk about breakout prospects to some of these other guys that I think if it works out for them, they go nuclear. But I think Salas is going to be a guy that you look at the stat line uh, midway through the season. You're like, oh, he's hitting 285, 350, 440 and not striking out much and sprinkling in some stolen bases and just playing good ball. Like that to me is still a breakout because he's 18 years old. He'll be 19 years old early in the season. 
and we have barely seen anything from him because of the lack of 2020 season and how young he is as well. I mean, he probably still would not have even cracked low A any earlier. He was just turning 18 when he got his debut this past season. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. I'm looking forward to seeing how he can incorporate a bit more explosiveness and a bit more violence into his swing without compromising what already works for him, which is the bat-to-ball skills. So it's a fine line uh, to toe there. And I think the natural man strength that comes in as he matures as well, right? I mean, again, he is just barely a legal adult. Uh, I think that will also make things easier on him too. Uh, But the natural bat speed should allow him to be able to tap into some power without having to totally overhaul or totally have to make any crazy changes to his swing, but definitely needs some small adjustments to allow for a bit more violence. Speaking of violence, the next guy is someone that I think has a lot of power to potentially unleash, and he's still just trying to consistently find a way to have it transfer into the game, and it's Jalen Palmer of the New York Mets, another guy that I got to see on the backfields as well, which I was really excited about because talk about a behemoth of a kid. Uh, Jalen Palmer is 21 years old, a guy that really is not on many radars, but he cracked our Mets top 10 because of his upside, another Very high-risk guy, a guy that was signed out of or drafted out of the Flushing area as a pop-up prospect out of high school and was signed for $200,000 after being selected in the 22nd round, so got well overslot to be signed away from college baseball, and he is a big, big dude, 6'4", 210 pounds, and I mean, you, you can really see it. He commands a presence when he's up at the plate. But what I really like about Palmer is you look at the numbers, they're a little bit spotty from this past season. But what I like about him is he, I actually think he's much more polished at the plate than people give him credit for. And I think the Mets feel the same way. They seem very encouraged by what they saw from him, given that he was a cold weather pop up prep prospect without much track record uh, on the summer circuit or really track record period. And impressed in 2018 in his first stint in rookie ball, impressed in 2019 in his second stint in rookie ball, although did he, he did have some swing and miss, was really good in 2021 in low A, and then struggled when he was promoted to high A this season. Another guy that had never played above rookie ball prior to this year, and even more so was that uh, just lack of track record, lack of experience against high-level competition type of dude. He walks a lot to offset some of the swing and miss, and I don't see any major issues with his swing. The only thing with with Palmer was that he struggled to keep his weight back, and he's a guy that is just really quick to the baseball. He had no problem catching up to Velo. He had no problem catching up to more Velo and high A and even elevated Velo. What really the issue was for him was the breaking ball, and that was because he struggled to stay in that back hip. He's a guy that on the off speed would tend to drift towards the baseball, and when he saw that more, saw more breaking balls in high A, and that got exposed a bit more, we saw that inconsistent lower half control uh, start to be exploited a bit more. But what I like about Palmer is his bat path is efficient. His swing path is already good. It's really about commanding that lower half, and I think he can naturally do that with more at-bats and more experience. But when you have the bat-to-ball that he has, his time from launch to contact is so quick that he's going to have more time to make decisions. That's why he does command the strike zone well. That's why he doesn't chase fastballs up as much, and when he does pull the trigger, he can catch up to them for the most part. The problem is the breaking balls, reading the spin, and then also keeping your weight back. That's something that naturally comes with experience. Of course, that's always difficult for any hitter uh, at all, especially power hitter. 
Raiders, but I think that's something that's going to get better and better as he gets more experience. I like the walk rates. I love the quickness to contact. I like a lot of things about Jalen Palmer and of course the physicality. He puts up some pretty good exit velos. He uses the whole field well when he's going right, especially against heaters. He uses the whole field really well. And I see 25 home run power here with a little bit more. He's an above average runner. He's a good athlete. He can stick at third. He can play corner outfield. He can do a little bit of everything, I think. And he could be very dynamic with tools across the board if he can just improve with the secondary stuff and continue to just mature at the plate, which I think will naturally happen on the backfields. I was impressed. He spit on a bunch of very difficult breaking balls. So it seemed like that was something he was working on. He caught up to the fastballs middle in. He has that explosive quick twitch type of movement. If Palmer puts it all together for the Mets, look out. He's already their number nine prospect for us in that system. Uh, The walk rate hedges some of the concern. He's going to be a guy I think that always strikes out a little bit, but he should be able to do damage, walk, and bring tools across the board enough that you will be able to pallet the 25% K rate, which is where I could see him potentially hovering. Very exciting prospect to have in the back end of your top 10 and a guy to 100% monitor because if he puts it together... Look out for Jalen Palmer. Last but not least on the prospect side of things is another NL East prospect, ironically, uh, that had nothing to do with uh, what I was doing here, but just coincidentally, another guy that I am very interested to see what it looks like if he puts it all together. And I think that he has a little bit more of a higher floor than the other guys too. I would say him and Salas have the highest floor. And this is Johan Rojas of the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Phillies have a very, very thin system. We know that. And honestly, wouldn't surprise me to see Johan Rojas traded just because Dave Dombrowski's at the helm there for this uh, Philadelphia Phillies organization or franchise, I should say. Uh, We see them going for it. We see them not really care about defense. And Johan Rojas is a potentially plus defensive center fielder. But he's also about two years away, at least, uh, from making his big league debut. And for Dave Dombrowski at that point, I I, I doubt that prospects that are two plus years off are are that relevant to him in in terms of the team plans. So it should be interesting to see what they do here. But the the important note here is that I would say Johan Rojas is pretty much the only other exciting offensive prospect in the system besides Bryson Stott. There's a couple other decent guys here and there. Uh, But in terms of guys that I could really see making a push to the top 100, Bryson Stott's already there and Rojas has a shot to be a top 100 prospect. I don't really see anybody else offensively commanding that kind of upside. Rojas was very solid last year. An injury interrupted uh, a large portion of his season, but still put up some really solid numbers between low A and high A. And what I like the most about Rojas is that he's already running into some power as a plus-plus runner in center field. I mean, that that's the most exciting thing is he's a plus-plus runner in center field with good bat-to-ball skills. He didn't strike out that much last season, really only punching out about 18% of the time, also walked about 8% of the time ran into what was more than I expected, 10 home runs in about 95 games, which for his profile, I think is more than fine. And he's continuing to get a little bit stronger as well. He's 6'1", 165. I think he's going to add another 10, 15 pounds. He shouldn't slow down much. I think his frame can accommodate that. He is super duper fast. He is super, super fast, like easy 70 grade speed, easy plus defense projection in center field. You put good bat-to-ball skills on top of that, and a guy that already has proven that he's not going to swing and miss a ton, 
really the big question just is, will he hit enough? Uh, Will he be able to drive the ball into gaps? Will he be able to tap into a little bit more power? Because he is a high ground ball rate guy. He's a 51% ground ball rate guy. That's not really an issue, though. I'm okay with a plus-plus runner hitting the ball on the ground. That's not a big deal. He swiped 33 bags last year. I know the, the rule with the lower level of the minor leagues and stolen bases and holding runners on is bizarre. I would bet on Johan Rojas swiping 30-plus bags again this coming season. He is like that. Uh, So when I look at Rojas, the big question is, how do you find the balance of not losing what you have in terms of just being able to put the bat on the ball and get on base a lot, which is what I talked about uh, on the podcast with Greg Jones a little while back. I think that was back on Locked On MLB Prospects, and we'll have Jones on again in the future. But with Greg Jones, we talked about it, and I was saying, hey, you've now – added strength. You've now realized, hey, I have some legitimate power potential. How do you find the balance of trying to tap into that power and also still utilizing your speed? Because a pop-up to the infield is useless for you, right? You're trying to do damage and you pop up to the infield. That stinks because your speed doesn't help you. If you miss hit a baseball and it's a dribbler to shortstop, there's a good chance you're beating that out and you're going to be a high BABIP guy naturally. That's something that we know Rojas will be. He'll be a high batting average on balls and play guy. So you want your mistakes to turn into hits. That's a rare uh, just liberty that you're able to have as a plus-plus speed guy. But this is a game that's driven by driving the ball, right? Slugging is so important. So trying to find that balance. You don't want to lose who you are, and you don't want to really short sell your speed as an asset, but you also want to be able to tap into some of that power. That's what I'm interested to see what Rojas can do there. I like the power projection. I think he can easily hit 15, maybe even 20 home runs if he taps into it, 30 bags as well. And that's a breakout prospect to me. I like the bat to ball and that's what's really selling me. Right-handed swing that is very compact, quick, and the bat speed is what plays for me. When I see a guy that has that kind of whippy barrel uh, to go with the speed, I'm encouraged because I know that he feels like he can get to any pitch. He's going to be a little bit more aggressive probably, but still offsets with a pretty decent walk rate. And he knows he can get to anything. And if he gets to it, there's a good chance he can beat it out. So I think Rojas is going to be a high batting average guy. He's going to still be able to do damage in the right spots. I see above average raw power to even maybe even pushing plus raw power, which if he has above average to plus raw power, like taps into it and to gain pop on top of the speed and defense that he brings and ability, just natural feel to hit, which is further ahead than I think a lot of people would have thought. Rojas could be a top 100 guy as well and is 100% a name to watch moving forward, especially in a very barren Phillies system. We'll wrap up with some spring training standout prospects so far, and uh, two of them are two of our top shortstop prospects and two guys that'll be top 15 prospects in the update Uh, that I am just, every time I'm not recording this, I'm working on that and we're getting there. It is almost, almost done. Uh, But how about O'Neal Cruz? O'Neal Cruz looks so ready to take the league by storm. And not just because he has crazy power. He golfed a breaking ball that was at his shoe tops out, which is crazy because he's six foot eight or six, seven. Now I'm hearing six, eight. But what floors me the most about O'Neal Cruz is the fact that he has long limbs, he is so tall, and he is still so compact and efficient to the ball and gets to t- 
tough pitches. How are you golfing balls off of your shoestrings and then also catching up to elevated heat, which again is, is a big concern because that was part of the struggle with Aaron Judge first coming up is how big the strike zone was for him. And he still gets called on pitches that are just not strikes to anybody else. I get it. He's taller, but there's a certain level. There's a certain line you have to draw where it's just like no one should be getting called strikes that high up. Uh, and that's an entirely different topic. But the point is, if you can't get up there, you better leave it. He doesn't need to leave it. He drops the barrel so easily. He snaps it so easily. He is such a ridiculously powerful hitter. But what's impressed me is that the hit tool is there now. I mean, this is a guy that is using the whole field. He's not just hitting bombs. He's hitting line drives up the middle. He's hitting line drives the other way. And if you make a mistake middle in, forget it. Forget it. He can miss hit balls out. And when he connects... He's got as much power as anybody in Major League Baseball, as anybody in Major League Baseball. The only guy that I think is going to exceed the exit velos that O'Neill Cruz puts up is Giancarlo Stanton. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if O'Neill Cruz connects with one and pushes past whatever the record is on the stat cast, right? Like, I think he could put up the 122 or whatever the, the record is for exit velo. That is how ridiculous O'Neill Cruz is, and not to mention that he is playing pretty sound defense, and even if he has to move to third, which he's not going to do with Pittsburgh, so I assume they're going to give him every shot at shortstop, or for God forbid, if, if Brian Hayes got hurt and he had to move to third, he could accommodate the move there because his arm is so good. I really expect him to be able to stick it short and be fine there, and if they want to move him to an outfield spot, they can do that. I am so floored by the potential of O'Neill Cruz, and so floored at, at the present of O'Neill Cruz as well, and his ability to just be a well-rounded hitter. I thought it was going to be all or nothing earlier on, but as I lock into every at-bat that he has now that I can see this spring, the takes are comfortable, the spoiling of tough pitches is comfortable, and the pounding of mistakes is impressive. He is good. He is just a really, really good player, and he's about to be, I think, one of the most exciting young hitters in professional and major league baseball, excuse me. Uh, that is just in incredible. I, I can't believe what we're seeing from O'Neill Cruz. I know it's just spring training. I know it is, but uh, we saw it in AAA last year, in AA last year. We saw it in the, like, the two games he played in the big leagues, and we're seeing it again now. Uh, you better jump on the bandwagon. I'm already seeing how much his cards have rapidly ascended. The exit velocities he's putting up are a joke. I mean, 113, 115, 117. He's going to be a problem this year, and 40 home runs is a possibility if he can stay healthy. And he, if he hits the ball enough, which I don't even think is enough of a question now, he, he or is a question anymore. He is hitting the ball enough. He is more than fine with the hit tool department. Another guy that has always been more than fine in the hit tool department, but now we're seeing the power continue to shine through. We saw him do this last year in spring training, and then the power scaled back a little bit at the double-A level, and then he got hurt. But C.J. Abrams, he looks locked in. Two home runs again. One was a hanging, hanging slider, but it was an 0-2 pitch, hanging slider that he punished. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Hanging pitch, you put it out. And that's what Abrams needs to do. We talk about the balance of speed, but also running into some power. I've been adamant through the years that C.J. Abrams has above average power potential. And I think he continues to show that. Another dude that in double A seemed like he was just trying to stay afloat, stay alive, right? He's making the jump straight to double A, 
just wants to put the bat on the ball and compete, and he did that. He was really solid there in terms of hitting for average, getting on base, and playing great defense at shortstop, which has really progressed for him. He's probably going to be a second baseman long-term for the Padres with that Tatis dude at shortstop as long as he stays healthy, but we'll see what they do. I mean, I know they have infielders. I know they have Hassan Kim. I know they have Jerks and Profar and everything going on there, but they want to win now, and Abrams is making a push. He might force their hand to start considering him for some runtime at the big league level. What I really like is his his ability to go pull side with the power. I already see present above average power pull side. He did the same thing with that hanging slider, yanked it pull side. When it's away, he's more of a sprayer line drive wise, but we've seen him hit backside home runs too. To me, this there's definitely 20 plus home run power in the tank for Abrams. He's one of the fastest players in all of baseball already. And the hit tool has always been there. Now that the glove has come across, I think he's could be a gold glove caliber defender at second. He is good enough to stick it short from what I've seen now, but I've been really impressed at the power continuing to shine through. And I think now that he's healthy, it is really encouraging to see what we've seen from CJ Abrams. Look out for this kid. He's going to be really, really darn good. Last but not least, how about Max Meyer? Max Meyer was electric for the Marlins against the New York Mets and dueling against Max Scherzer. He got the nod. And he actually outdueled Scherzer. I was amazed to see Scherzer go five innings in spring training. He's such a psycho. I love it. But Max Meyer went four innings of hitless baseball, no walks, and five Ks. What really impressed me with Meyer, the fastball was bumping up to 96-97. The slider, which we always know, was disgusting. And this was against a lot of the Mets' big league lineup. He was carving him up with the slider. That's a plus big league pitch already. The fastball flattens out a little bit, but it was working a little bit better than normal because of the fact that Meyer was mixing in the changeup, and that is so huge. Everyone talks about, oh, well, where's the changeup? He's a two-pitch guy. He's going to go to the bullpen, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. He mixed in that changeup quite a bit that last outing, and it looked pretty darn solid. It's not as much of a dropper. It's more of an arm side run pitch, but it doesn't even need to be great. If his changeup is average, the fastball, it's not plus. It's probably closer to 55, but he manipulates the slider to be more of a gyro breaker, which means downward break versus also having the horizontal breaking slider. So it's almost like it gives you four different looks. That's enough for me. I really think that Max Meyer is a rotation piece. That doesn't mean that the Marlins won't call him up and could potentially use him in a Michael Kopech type role this year if the rotation is full. But Meyer is showing time and time again that he is ready to go in terms of being big league ready within the next several months, but also ready to stay in a rotation. The changeup has been a point of emphasis for him. I saw him throw it a ton on the backfields. I saw him throw it a lot against a big league lineup for the most part. And I think he is a guy that is starting to feel very, 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 very confident. A couple other quick little shout outs of guys that have been impressive so far. James Outman of the Dodgers has swung the bat quite well. Look out for him. He is an underrated outfield prospect. And then also Alejandro Kirk hit an absolute missile today. And he's got a lot more pop than I think people give him credit for. We'll see how he projects defensively, uh, given that he is a little bit of a heavier set catcher. Uh, just to be honest, he might not move as well back there, but I'm like, I mean, the guy's just really hitting the ball hard. And if he can be a decent defensive catcher, they're going to have some decisions to make with Gabriel Moreno, Danny Jansen, how they're going to go about it. But Kirk, there's no doubt in the bat. The guy can really swing it, and we're seeing it firsthand so far in spring training. That'll do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I am very excited to give you that Zach McCambly interview on Friday. I look forward to that, and I hope you are as well. 
If you could take a moment to leave a rating, I would really appreciate it. Help grow this show. I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen and sharing it with your friends. It's been awesome to see the listening numbers continue to grow. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Friday.